Hi, I'm Maria Micah Day, and you're listening to North of 40, where we tackle conversations around death, rebirth, soul-shifting experiences, and how to embrace our human condition when life throws you curveballs. Today, I bring you Jennifer Jones, the first African-American Radio City Music Hall Raquette, author and mother, and Erica Vaughn, performer, dancer, singer, and Rockette. Today, we talk about the legacy of Radio City. Really, our listeners hearing not only just your voice, but actually hearing the story in your own words. And one of the things or reasons why I really wanted to talk to both of you and particularly at the same time is because us three have had a shared experience that was very unique. Individually, we've had our own experiences, particularly post 40 or even leading up to that 40 year mark. And what I've learned in doing analytics um, for the women who listen to the podcast and just women in our age group or even um, experiences is that they just want to know. They just want to know. They want to hear it from people who actually have gone through the things that we have gone through. So we're in COVID and how are you guys doing? How's it been going for both of you? Well, for me in particular, um, it's been um, a big life change. I currently have a nine to five job, so I am working from home. And for me to work from home has been so good for me. I am a cancer survivor. Um, I had stage three colon cancer um, in 2018. Um, I did eight rounds of chemotherapy. I had surgery. Um, And just the lifestyle change has taken so much stress off of me. Um, I don't have to deal with the office politics. There were a lot of things going on at work that I don't have to deal with now. Um, Just my life work balance is so much better. Um, And thankfully my family is okay. So I've been blessed with that. My friends are okay. Um, So for me, um, you know, the lifestyle change has been working, but I do feel for those who are struggling um, and who have lost, you know, loved ones during this crisis. And just like Jennifer listeners, Erica has also had a shift in transition from what her normal day-to-day was. And this particular shift happened, I would say just before COVID, maybe it a happened couple of months. just before right. COVID. Right. So I think similar for, to Jennifer as far, well, most of us now are working from home, right? But I think even with mine, my shift happened in October, right? So in October, I got the word that my father was sick, right? And I had just completed my master's degree and I had my whole life planned out. I knew where I was gonna work in New York and New Jersey. Um, I had already started interviews in New York and New Jersey. And then I got word, your father is sick. Now I'm the only child. And so immediately I was just like, okay, I have to pack up and I'm going to Georgia. Now, where my father lives in Georgia is like the boonies, guys. Like literally on my morning walks, I see cows. Like no joke. Not cows. So yes, cows. So going from this city 
lifestyle, you know, like I'm, even though I'm from the South, so I'm a country girl who's always lived in the city. So, but that transition from going from the, the city life, meeting people for brunch and, you know, working every day to all of a sudden just Georgia. Erica Vaughn and Jennifer Jones were castmates with me in the Broadway revival of 42nd Street. We are performers, actors, and dancers at the root of our core of who we are. And as performers, we are influenced by the surrounding energies in a different way. We feel things, we see things, we interpret things from an artist's point of view. And so being in COVID probably affected us differently than most people. I would say that we are more empathetic. We feel things in a different way. We certainly can see things and see how those things are affecting other people in a specific way. So for me, Watching my daughter go through COVID, who's a five-year-old, was very hard. She all of a sudden wasn't in school. She lost immediate contact, physical contact with her friends. And that sent her and I into a different place that I was not expecting. Erica, Jennifer, did you see any types of changes and shifts in your immediate family, whether it was the children in your family, your parents? friends did you see something that you can speak to and then what that thing was how would you recommend our audience and how to deal with those kinds of things um i saw um a difference with my mother uh number one she lives by herself she lives 10 minutes from me in a senior building um immediately no one was allowed in her building so Everything was remote for her. She had a very hard time adapting not to seeing me um, or her other daughters, her grandchildren. She felt um, lonely and, and afraid. She didn't want to get it. She was afraid to go out. Um, so she had to get through this, this process of there was a lot of FaceTime. Um, she would go out for walks. She would um, get depressed. Um, but it was all within learning how to deal with this. Did she get over it? Um, my son was living in New York City. He came to West Orange, where I live. He came to live home. My fiance's daughter also had just got an apartment in New York. She came home to West Orange. So we had a full house again. So it was, again, we started with the family dinners and cooking and it was, there was a lot more conversation. My son had a very difficult time, Zachary, transitioning from going to school and then going to remote online classes. He does not do well with re remote online classes. So he struggled and he's afraid of this year, his school is starting with online classes. Um, and it's his last year of college. So of course he wants to do well. Um, I think within all this, we've kind of found some stepping forward in dealing with all of this because it's not going to go away anytime soon. So there, there are things that we have to accept and adapt to, um, which we've been trying to do. Um, my fiance, he's always like, you're home all the time now. <laughs> so what does that mean? So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What are you talking about? <laughs> But, but he's working. He's an essential work, considered an essential worker. He's a chef, so he is required to go in and, and, and work. 
So, um, you know, we were finding our way around everything. Um, but we've, we have come to a, a happy medium of where we're in this for the long haul. And he's very um, over, over, I don't want to say overprotective, but overcautious of what, um, of when he goes out and when he comes home. If he brings home groceries, he wipes everything down. And he's just very cautious of what is coming in the home because I am a high risk person. Right. In right. That's mm -hmm. exactly right. And you know, what's so interesting, what you said that we can bring to the audience, which is who are you doing life with? Mm, like who mm -hmm. is in your life that you're doing life with? This is a time when you become very hyper aware of who is in your life and who was yes. there to stay. Right, right. Um, you know, 2020 has brought about a lot of shifts and change. One of the things that I noticed online, which I want to bring up now is this new walk of the women who have been former Radio City Music Hall Rockettes who are now coming together as the women of color. And I'm, I'm sure I'm getting this wrong, but I want to talk a little bit about that and that initiative and that movement, because even though 2020 has been a little bit hairy, I still don't feel like 2020 is canceled. And I see some really amazing things happening. So just to kind of give our audience a little bit of background, these women, not only were they performers in this Broadway musical and other Broadway shows um, under Erica's resume, but they also were women of color who were Radio City Music Hall Rockettes. And that is something that is very rare. A lot of people do not get entree into this prestigious, um, I want to say dance troupe, but it's so much more than that. I call myself an honorary Rockette, even though I never was a Rockette, but I'm going to just say that I was because, you know, I was a pot of car. And um, <laughs> these women have actually done it and done it in a big way. So Jennifer Jones is the first African-American Radio City Music Hall Rockette. She is on this podcast right now and how much must be paid. Erica yep. Vaughn is also an African-American woman who was a Radio City Music Hall Rockette. They have now formed an organization, a group of women who are putting forth some new and important messaging. And I want to talk about that right now. The, the alumni, Rockettes of Color alumni, was formed by um, Lainey Sakakura and Sally Hong. I would say a couple years ago, they came up with this idea. Um, and it really didn't take traction until, unfortunate, unfortunately, um, George, Floyd, George Floyd's death, his murder. Um, it really came as... Um, Lainey reached out to me and she wanted to do a Black Lives Matter movement. Um, it was a Facebook page. There was only a few of us that were members of it. I saw it, I clicked on it. And, you know, she said, you know, help me grow this. You know, where are these, where are these ladies? So um, uh, I reached out and, you know, I reached out to as many women that I knew that I was friends on Facebook and it just blossomed from there. It just took traction and we found so many women, which was amazing because since uh, Satsuko Mariachi was uh, the first uh, Asian woman Asian. on the line in 1985, Marahashi, 1985. Um, and then I was the first African-American, 1987. And then we were just sprinkled throughout the line. I've heard of some, some, you know, other ladies' names, but I've never met them. 
on our first Zoom call. It was so wonderful to see all these women. Oh, I, I know you. Isn't name. that crazy I that you've never you. met them? That's so wild. They kept us separate. Mm. They kept us tokenized. Mm. So they made us, they made me feel like, oh, you're the special one. You know, you're, mm. you're on the line. Right. You know, you're the one that made it type of thing. So it's really nice to see us all come together and be a part of a group. And since 1985 till now, I would say there's only maybe 80 of us that had that in existence that we can see in all that time. Wow. Yeah, that says a lot. So this, um, this organization- Considering that the organization was formed in the 30s, 1930s, yeah. am I correct? Yeah. Right. Right. 1925 and then 25. 1932 it became the rocket radio that's right mm -hmm. right so um what this organization um is trying to do which is different that, than the rocket alumni is um educate other dancers bring um awareness to other black dancers that this can be done um that you can follow your dreams um, dance conventions is another one that um, some of the girls are forming. Um, so there's a lot of interesting aspects that we want to do that the um, alumni is not doing. And can I so, just jump in and just say that there are some things that I learned from you and from Erica while doing 42nd Street that a young Black dancer like myself coming into the New York pool of dancers didn't know that I'm sure the Rockettes will probably be using as a teaching tool. For example, what is showgirl makeup? Coming to auditions prepared with your correct makeup, your correct uh, uh, wardrobe, everything that the things, the, the nuances about being a dancer and the importance of being a dancer of color that you're not going to get. No one's going to tell you that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I learned it from being in your presence, which I also find to be very interesting. Just like you said, they keep us so separated that we don't know. And so if you happen to bump into someone that looks like you, hopefully you'll get that tool. I mean, Erica. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, where to start? Where to start? So obviously I got the, I think I got my email, of course, from Jennifer Jones for this Raka, right? Rockettes of Color alumni. Now, as you guys know from my past, I'm, uh, I'm that radical, I've always been radical. My whole dance career has always been radical. And anything that's advocating for those that don't have a voice, I'm there. So, and Jennifer, correct me if I'm wrong. When I was first told about Raqqa, um, especially for the Black Lives Matter movement, it was because at that time, I think the current girls on the line were forbidden to even mention anything about Black Lives Matter. It was Madison Square Garden. Jim Dolan uh -huh. would not allow his employees to have anything to do with um, Black Lives Matter. Right. And I think in including that, it did include the girls, even though they weren't really right. working at the time. Right. So yeah. that's when I was like, I am on board because we have to have a voice. So I know that's what got me. So this, so the initial initiative was supposed to be for the Raqqa to come together as one to be, and it was a powerful, I don't know if you got, did you ever get to see it, Miriam? But so we all had these beautiful Black Lives Matter masks. Um, 
I saw and it. it was supposed to be for Black Lives Matter. So I just thought that um, just having us ask the alumni for them to actually like stand on our shoulders and be like, okay, you guys still perform. We're going to be your voice and we're going to stand up for this cause for you guys so as to not jeopardize your jobs, right? Because I know like even when we were there, I mean, we weren't um, there, like just Jennifer said, when I first came on the line, and that was in 99, there was this whole, um, they wanted to diversify the line. They wanted more, they wanted to diversify the line, right? And so that's why I was there. We would be in rehearsals. Uh, we would have these meetings about how can we get more women of color on the line? Um, why don't you guys come? to auditions. That was a huge one. They wanted to know why women of color weren't showing up to the auditions. So we had all these meetings um, and they were like, great, we got all this information. We're going to go forward. Fast forward now to here we are 2019. And there was an article in New York Times about the lack of diversity on the Radio City Music Hall Rockette Line. And I find that so interesting that that's always a theme because even when we were, when I was digging into Jennifer Jones's life and studying her life for the possibility of doing a larger effort for a show around her, right. I discovered that she had to protest the line to make sure that they still had their jobs way back when. And we still are saying are. the same thing. Here we are. They all are fighting for the same thing. It's so interesting now, to me. I'm going to take you back further, right? Have you got, are you guys familiar with the June Taylor dancers? Yeah. Okay. So Mercedes Ellington, similar to Jennifer Jones, was the first African-American woman to dance with the June Taylor dancers. Same thing. She had to go through the same thing. How long ago were those dancers? Like, you know, and so here we are. This constant, you know, diversity and if you look at what it is to okay what does diversity mean now it's changed ladies you know so now diversity can mean your race ethnicity it can be your religion it can be a disability right um so now i think on a line for them diversity is well we we hired a young lady who doesn't have a hand which is true that's very that's diversity because she has a disability so they've kind of switched up the game but they, what they do is they feign inclusion. They, they fake it. They feign inclusion Correct. by saying, oh, well, we want to have more dancers come in. We have auditions, but they don't show up, which Correct. is not really the case. And they always stand by those kinds of things. Correct. So it's really fascinating to me that now, now in 2020, chickens are coming home to roost. We actually have a coalition, Raka who was holding people to the fire so that the real, so that the women who were actually on the line won't lose their jobs. Same right, thing. Correct. Right. right. And it's right. been such a powerful thing because I think, was it one of our first Zoom meetings, Jennifer, where we were all just staring at each other and like yeah. some women I knew who were Rockettes and then some, I was like, Diva, you were a Rockette? How did I not know you were mm -hmm. a Rockette? Because they had always separated us, right? Yeah. So a house divided, you know, and just like Jennifer said, you would get on the line as a woman of color and they would make you feel like, oh, you're so special. You're here because of this. You're here because of that, you know, but it made us by having that lack or, or that tokenism, it didn't really make us strong, right? Whereas now 
by having this group and you're looking to your right and you're looking to your left and you're looking at all these women. And unfortunately, we were never on the line together. You know? Well, that was my next question. To be clear, Jen, I know you were on the line alone. Correct. Yes. For, yes. for, for a while. Most, for a while. For a while. Yes. And I think I danced with Erica Reed, Melanie Allen. Um, but Marquee I'd say Monday. for like the first how many we were on, years? We were online right? together, Jay. I did. I, I think, danced with JJ too. I was online with you, JJ. So Jay, yeah. for the first couple of how many years you think you will remember? We're, we're doing a timeline and looking at the timeline, I was with Setsuko from mm. the time I was on the line. Okay. Um, but I think there was a span of maybe five to seven years where they didn't hire. We're, like I said, we're in the process of doing a timeline. Um, but it, there was a, there's a big chunk of time. And then there's a big chunk of time where they hired a lot of women and then it wanes off. Yep. Erica, Nobody's how yes. long were you? Were you alone, or are you? Are you said you oh, no, 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 no. I was okay. not alone. So when they brought me in, and this is a, I won't say touchy subject. Radio City went through a point in time, and it wasn't Radio City, Madison, Madison Square, right? Mm. Jim Dolan, whatever. Uh, where all of a sudden, I think he was almost forced to have to diversify. And so what happened was they started also bringing in choreographers, right? And so they brought in Mercedes Ellington to choreograph a piece on the Radio City Rockettes. At that time, I wasn't a Rockette, but I was Mercedes' dance captain. So she brought me in to help her, right? So we're doing all this, and they had several people of color as choreographers. So then I auditioned. I'm on the line now. We're supposed to be having all these meetings about how to diversify the line. And then they were like, well, you guys don't come to the audition. Well, we're not going to come if we're looking up on stage and we don't see ourselves being represented. So my whole thing was, I didn't even know you guys hired black women. If I had known that, I would have auditioned years ago because I've been living here in New York all this time. But if I'm going to come see a show and I don't see myself being represented, why am I wasting my time? Facts. Right? Facts. So then they started talking about how, well, you guys, we have to train you. Okay, I'm sorry, what? What did you just say? You have to train us? So back then they were saying that we weren't qualified. We couldn't find, they can't find any qualified dancers. Now, mind you, this is during the era of Alvin Ailey. This is during the era of Dance to the Harlem. This is during the era of Philodanko. You can't find no qualified dancers? Really? Mm, that, that, that doesn't sound right. Right. So they were using this excuse of, well, we can't find you guys. Well, we're right here. Okay. So then they go through this whole train training us to be a rocket. Now I must admit, even with all of my training, dancing as a radio city rocket is not easy. Right. So it would, I did have to be trained. I didn't know anything about towing the line. I didn't know anything about I high kicks for me when you kick you whack you know what I'm saying I'm not trying to be like everybody else and I think that was different when you're being trained as a Broadway performer you're being trained to stand out when you're being trained as a rockette you're being trained to dance as one that I was not accustomed to being trained to dance as one but so we go through all of this we tell you guys what to do so then they did start implementing um, Radio City Rockette we would have the uh, camps. They had a dance theater. We had camps 
at Alvin Ailey. I don't know if it ever made it to Philadelphia. And we would also have it at other dance studios where they would have Radio City. They also had Radio City Dreamers, which mm -hmm. I really was a part of in high school. So okay. technically, yeah. I am so, a Rockette. You are, you are, <laughs> you are. So we had, but the thing is, Mariam, like we had all these programs. And now here it is some 20 years later for New York Times to be like, well, where where are your dancers like there's no excuse like now there's really no excuse now listen jennifer has been jennifer has fought madison square garden and james dolan more than once and you continue to have that fire and that gumption to do so what fuels you jen what fuels you because even though you have been towing the line you have been on the line you've been fighting for the line you continue to do so even in 2020, you started in 87, what keeps you motivated to keep making that happen? Just do the right thing. It's a part of my legacy. I feel it's a part of my duty to show the others. And it's a part to just do what's right. Like Erica said, year after year, all these initiatives put out and nothing is happening. Do they really wanna diversify? Um, are you really going to try to shut up the Rockettes again? Um, and the Nick City Dancers, he does the same thing to the Nick City Dancers. Are, are we women that just, you think, just work for you, that just kick and dance, just shut up and dance? I don't think so. We have voices. We have minds. We have a thought to say what's right and what's not right. And I cannot be silenced. I will not be silent. <laughs> well, we know that. You're right. We know that. <laughs> I think my question is, um, especially for Jennifer Jones, because she, because you, because she has such a legacy, right? And again, this is coming from that radical, you know, power to the people perspective. I feel like at this point, and especially from our Zoom meetings with Raka, like, and just a sign of the times right now with 2020 and everything why not start our own line? Like why continue under the heading of Radio City Music Hall? And I think that was one of the reasons why I had to leave. I found it very difficult to work for and under an organization with their, their racist history and knowing that you didn't really, you never had respect for my talent. You didn't want me there in the first place and yet here I am. Um, so yeah, that was a hard thing for me. So I admire your spirit. I admire your fire to still be there this whole time because, um, that's why I had to politely tip my hat and tip stage left because it was, that was, I couldn't do it. I think that's a good point. Sorry, Jen, go ahead. Sorry. No. And I understand what Erica, um, is saying a very hard position that they, they put us in and everyone deals with you know, things differently. And um, I totally understand that. Absolutely. I, I think what mm -hmm. Jennifer and everyone has done has been tremendously courageous. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's not one person inside on the inside, then I think we completely and totally lose. But Correct. there is something to having our own as well. Right. Um, but let's talk about stuff. Wait, let's mm. go back really quick. Because when you said about the inside, I think what has to happen is next. And just like Jennifer said, do the right thing. Doing the right thing to diversify a line, that's kibbles and bits. You put some real diversity. How about who is his 
administration. We need more people of color in the, in the bigger roles of Radio City, in the bigger roles of Madison Square Garden. You know, like what does his room look like? Like when you're making these decisions at this table, who are helping, who's helping you to make these decisions? And that's where- I don't even know if there's even women in the organization. I don't, I don't believe that they are from my research. And if there are no women, there are definitely no women of color in there. And I think that's what needs to happen. You know, like the line, that's nothing. We need voices like Jennifer. What I would love to see Jennifer room. working at Madison Square Garden and making Absolutely. decisions that need that's to be made. That's what I want to see. That's, that's what, what I would what like to I see. Wanna see. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what I want to see. Because I think it's going to start from the top. You have Absolutely. people like that make a decision at the top. Then, of course, the line would automatically look different. You know? It trickles so down. Like, yeah. So, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. so I think that's my hope and dreams, especially for the, the rocker girls. I really hope that they take it more seriously and really start using those women who are very talented, but put them in administrative roles because that's what really needs to happen. I agree. The fish stinks from the head. And yes. I think that, you know, until that shift happens, which it's possible in terms Absolutely. of when it could happen, we don't know. I see that with the NBA and even the WNBA, they are now protesting um, Black Lives Matter. Yep. And a lot of them are saying, you know, it's time for LeBron and all those kind of top head players to form their own league because you know they don't respect us they don't respect black people and so what you're saying erica is not too off base like that it makes sense it makes complete sense you know i want to talk about a little bit of our experience together as showgirls in 42nd street the quintessential broadway musical of course um it was my broadway debut and jennifer's as well of course erica was a veteran at that time and coming into Broadway, so green. I have to admit, I was very green. I can look back in hindsight and see where I've made some very big missteps in terms of my relationships and just really kind of navigating what the Broadway world was like. I felt that I was not seen at that show. I felt like I was a woman of color who had to be in the background and don't make too much noise. You're lucky to be here. There were so many subliminal messages that I got while on the show. And I have been grateful. Thankfully, we were able to do so many things because of that show. But I definitely felt that there was places where um, my Blackness was a problem. So I'm wondering, do you guys feel, now that you have had life experience, now that I'm north of 40, you guys understand what it means to be north of 40 and have life experience. Did you have that same kind of outlook and looking back on that time? Jay, you want to go? You want me to go? It doesn't matter. Um, you want to go? I've been in. I, you want to go? It doesn't matter. Go ahead, Erica. Look, you go. Let, let's so polite. Um, <laughs> I think for interesting about 42nd Street is I had already decided to retire. Right. Because by then, um, my feet were hurt. I was definitely a woman. Honey, I was very close to 40 when we were doing 42nd Street, you know, so I was just tired. Um, And so I remember um, getting a call from Mercedes, Mercedes Ellington. And she was like, I want you to go audition for 42nd Street. And I was like, well, I'll go, but I'm not dancing anymore. 
right? That was my whole attitude. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And she was like, well, just go. It's Randy. It's Randy Skinner. Now, I had already done a couple of shows with Randy Skinner back in the days, regional theater, no Broadway stuff, but regional stuff. And so I literally only went because I had promised Mercedes that I would go. So then I go audition, get the call that, you know, I made in the show. Now, a normal person would be happy, not this doll. I remember calling my mom and I was crying. <laughs> mom. And she was like, oh, baby, it's okay. You didn't get it. I was like, no, I got the show. And she was like, are you, what is wrong with you? Because I was so upset because this meant that I couldn't retire. And that, that's crazy, right? So for me, it was like a little, it was backwards. So um, at that time, and going back to Radio City, tokenism. Girl, I was, I was glad to have, I was glad to not be there alone, right? Because this was the first non-Black show that I had done where I wasn't the only token, right? So to be on Broadway with not one other, but two other women of color, girl, that was like, that was hog heaven for me, because I had never experienced that before. So for me, I found it to be extremely refreshing. Um, yeah, I, I, had a, I had a good time and it was a nice way to re retire from, you know, the great white way. Jen, what do you think? So with me, I remember um, during the Christmas show, a lot of the girls auditioning for 42nd Street. And at this time I was going through my divorce and I wasn't planning on auditioning. It was that it was in January, I think, when I when they had a special call for ethnic minorities to audition. Um, so I got called in by, by uh, Binder Casting to go audition, and I went. Um, and that's where I met you. <laughs> and um, so I auditioned for the, um, the show, and I wasn't expecting to get it. And the whole time I was um, at the audition and while I was traveling in, I'm thinking, how am I going to support two young kids? The Christmas show is over. I have no job. Um, and that's when I went to the audition and, and I was hired on the spot. So I was thankful to get that, to get the call and get the job and um, to be a part of Broadway. It was something that I always wanted to do. My parents always took me to see Broadway shows. They took me to see The Wiz five times. So this was something that I really wanted to experience, but it was a lifestyle change because my kids were young. They were going back and forth between me and my soon-to-be ex-husband. Um, I had to find care for them. I was working late at night and on the weekends. So it was um, a balancing act. And I'm so thankful that I had my family to rely on. Um, otherwise, I would not have been able to have this experience or that experience. I will say this. Jennifer is very modest, everyone. So we auditioned at the same time for 42nd Street. They definitely had an ethnic call. We definitely was there with Erica Vaughn because I remember Erica being there at the audition too. 
And they called Jennifer and I at the last, when they kind of narrowed down, we had like about two or three dance uh, sequences we had to do. The first one being tap, because they wanted to whittle that out first, because if you can't tap, you can't do the show. And I remember being there with Jennifer at the end because we had to sing and neither one of us <laughs> were strong singers. <laughs> Go on. Putting it politely. <laughs> Putting it nice. So I went in there. I don't know what Jen sang, but I went in there and I sang happy birthday and they laughed. I did too. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> and I remember they were laughing at me. I remember, but they also told her and I to wait. And I think that's the moment of when our friendship actually solidified because we were both waiting to see if our lives were going to change in that moment. And it did. They hired us on the spot. And we had a moment of euphoria, excitement, joy, hugging each other. I didn't know this woman. She didn't know me, but I gave her my card and I knew we were going to be friends. And I ended up walking uptown to Harlem because I didn't have any more money to get on the train that day because I spent my last $90 on some tap shoes. So that moment definitely was a pivot and I'm grateful for it as well because again, it afforded me not only the opportunity to perform and as an aside, I never had aspirations of being on Broadway, but once it happened to me, I was grateful, but it helped me to form and understand relationships in the business, friendships, and not knowing that and growing into that is a tool that I want to give to our audiences who are listening to North of 40 because the people you see going up are the same people you see coming down. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that was a big lesson that I had coming out of that show. Um, I think one of the things that really defined me as a performer, particularly in that time period, was understanding how I fit into the whole. So Erica, you were talking about at Radio City, how you guys learned how to dance as one. Right. I didn't know that. Coming from a concert dance background, we didn't really dance like that. We, we got to show off. I, gotta, yep. I got the Torah more than this one. I got the, you know, so being in a unit, forming a unit and then forming a subunit with my co-dancers who look like me, who are my black counterparts, and then forming another subunit of people who possibly had the same experiences as me who are not black. And then yep. figuring out those nuances as an artist really kind of shaped who I am now at mm -hmm. North of 40. Right. I mean, I don't know, Erica, like, what were some of the more personal nuanced experiences you had at that show? And the reason why I'm asking that is because when women are in their careers and they feel lost, they don't know what to do, where to turn, Right. I want to be able to say, look, you can do this. This helped and, and, and actually informed Erica's decisions and actually propelled her to this new career that we're going to talk about because right. not, all of us are not necessarily dancing anymore. Right. So I think for me, like I said, I was ready to retire because I had, you know, I had been dancing for like most of us for a very long time. And then right after uh, I graduated from college, Howard University, I literally, you know, started dancing right away professionally. So I was, you know, by the time I got to 42nd Street, I was, to say a girl was tired is an understatement. But I think for me, the thing that really turned me around was 9-11. You know, like 9-11, that just, 
that put me in a in a tailspin because that was very that was trauma i was traumatized by 9-11 not that i lost anyone personally but when i tell you that my heart just ached you know for all the people that were lost or just watching those towers fall as a you know new yorker i was just like what is happening and then as a performing artist performing artists we're supposed to be the teachers and the healers of the world and so i remember being in 42nd street and thinking okay am i doing enough you know is my footprint going to be enough what's my legacy what am i leaving behind what's going on and so i remember I think that night, what, Wednesday? I think 9-11 maybe happened on a Wednesday? I can't remember. But I knew our show was dark it was that night. It was Tuesday? Tuesday. It was okay. Tuesday. And so I knew we were dark that night. But then to get that call, like, okay, you're coming back to work. And I'm like, people have died. I yes. understand the show must go on, but why are we performing? And I remember just being so conflicted and so angry at our producers. And I even remember putting my makeup on, like, I can't believe this. Like, why are we doing this? Until that curtain raised and those people were cheering. When they cheered, and I think at that time it was like the, um, the first responders, children and wives. When that curtain lifted and just to see these kids, you know, who's, you know, maybe they had lost their fathers or whatever. And I was just like, okay, this is why I'm here. I'm here for this moment, you know, and every show after that, just to know, cause we were doing like a lot of free shows, I think for like the first responders or for, you know, kids whose parents had died and everything. And so I think for me, the show just for that to leave and you would see these children singing 42nd street, or you would see these kids and they would be trying to do the steps and everything. I mean, I, I would live for that moment and that would lift my spirit. But that, that moment defined me when I was just like, okay, I'm going back to school because I have to be able to physically do more for people. I knew I didn't want to enlist in the, like I always said, maybe if I were like a, if I had been a man, I definitely would have joined the army or something like that, the air force, like had I been a male. But since I was a female, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to school and do something, you know, more in the, the medical field. And so that's what I, that's what I did. So it's so interesting. Everyone's memory is so different. I don't remember that. I don't, I know that the show was closed on a Tuesday. I remember that because some friends ended up staying at my house because they were displaced trying to get back to where they lived. The bridges were closed. Like you just couldn't either leave the city or get into the city. Right. We were closed for two days. We came back on a Thursday. Yep. But Thursday I don't night. remember the audience, what I remember, the way that you do, Erica, what I remember yeah. was nobody was there. I remember that the curtain oh. rose and it was empty. And I was like, wow, like it just really kind of hit me like something happened. So maybe my, my memory is a different yeah. day than yours. Mm, yeah. But 9-11 definitely shifted everything, everything mm -hmm. about Broadway. Yeah. Jen, how do you remember mm -hmm. that? Um, I remember it similar to Erica. Um, I remember Times Square being like a ghost town. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, how am I going to get through this show? Because I think it was for the first responders and yep. their children and everything. Yeah. So I'm thinking, how am I supposed to make them feel better? I, right. I was devastated. Right. Me too. And 
I remember doing that show in tears. Yeah. You know, I, it was very hard for me going, leaving backstage um, after the show. They were all there yeah. wanting to meet us. Yep. And that was so heartwarming yeah. to me. How, how I could make them feel better. Exactly. In this devastation. That yep. we're in. And remember us putting together like the dog tags. I still have my dog tag. But remember we put together little dog tags. The, the, the um, red, white, and blue for, for the, for the oh, first responders. Yeah. And we did dog tags for them we, with the little sprinkler. Not, yeah. With the, like the little studs. And they were red, white, and blue. Clearly, I, I need to go see my therapist yeah. because I and don't so, remember <laughs> any of that. So even Nothing. us doing that, so putting the dog tags together, like I feel like we, we were the healers at that time because our show did go on. We were one of the few shows that did not close. And I remember that yes, being that is true. huge That's because true. so many other shows did not survive. We survived. Mm -hmm. um, I and remember. frankly, our show did really good in numbers throughout from what I girl, recall. we should still be open, but that's a... That's a Seriously. different, different topic. But ain't no reason why that show should close. Our numbers were right. so, so very well. So and let me tell you how, like, I'm so happy for the London cast. But that should have been us. Because, like, we should have been the ones that should have been filmed and not the London it's cast. True. But, again, that's another it's story. True. It's true. But, you know, like, it's I'm happy true. for them. I'm going to try not to be too bitter. But it's true. I, it's true. But, you know. It's true. But, uh. But yeah, but the dog tags, we did so many. We sold those posters. Remember, we had like we had to do those poster signings. I remember the poster those. signings. I yeah. do remember that. But at, <laughs> right. But at one point, all those proceeds were going for the first responders. Right. Mm -hmm. I and do so, remember that now. Yeah, yeah. so I remember not, Patty kept coming around and getting us to mm -hmm. sign. Our right, right. Managers. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so but that, I feel like 90, like, like I can't remember 42nd Street without thinking, 9-11, it's like 9-11, I'm like, yep, I was doing 42nd Street. And that was the first, in the first year that we opened. We opened in May uh -huh. 2001, yeah. and 9-11 uh, happened. Correct. And that's it definitely shifted the way that I looked at how we were impacting the city. Yeah, how absolutely. How we basically helped the city move forward in such yep. a tragedy. Yeah, yeah. In such a tragedy. Yeah. So let's talk about what we're doing now. Like, what are we doing that has been, it doesn't have to be occupationally, occupation forward in terms of what you're doing physically for money or work, but what are we doing now to impact the lives around us? I'm doing North to 40. I feel like this is an important mission because there are things that happened to me at 40 that I just had no peer view before. And I want to be able to, give back in a way that will help others so that they don't go through the same thing that I've experienced. I always talk about this in every episode. At 40, I had my first child and at 40, I lost my husband. And having to kind of white knuckle through that experience, I've had some real interesting things and awakenings. Jennifer shared with us at the beginning of this podcast, her fight with cancer. And she did not say this, I hope this is okay, there has been other instances where you had to check to make sure that you didn't have cancer and other instances in your life prior to. So you've always been a fighter. Erica has always been a fighter. She's always been pushing forward the agenda, particularly the black agenda. She, in my personal experience, has made me aware of my importance amongst the other women in the show, meaning that 
I'm supposed to be there. I'm a black woman. You're here for a reason. Don't lose sight on what that means. What are you guys or how are you impacting your world right now and making your voice heard in even the most minute or smallest way? I'm going to go back. It's so interesting. Um, and again, I always think about you with your, with your loss of your husband and you are managing it like a boss. Know that. Thank you. And raising this beautiful child. What I find so interesting is for me, I hated my 40s. Couldn't wait to get out of my 40s. At 40, I lost like my best friend. We've talked about her, Calda. Calda was a beautiful, beautiful dancer. And she never made it to 40 because she died at 39 from lung cancer. Never smoked, right? Uh, She was misdiagnosed with Lyme disease. And by the time she was diagnosed with lung cancer, like by the time they did the biopsy, she had the lungs of our 65-year-old chain smoker white male. This makes no sense because she never smoked, right? But it goes almost so that that was devastated. This is my, we were like sisters. We have been dancing together since we were eight years old. Literally, I would not go to an audition without calling her. She would help me pick out my outfits. You know, she would help me work on choreography, everything. So it's like once she died, I didn't want to dance anymore. Like, so I was just like, you know, what's the reason? Like, she was like my ride or die with that. Like, she would help me choose my music. She would let me know if I should do this show or not. Um, but also her misdiagnosis is the thing that also I was just like, okay, I have to help my people of color navigate this thing called healthcare because we're missing something. And so that was a springboard as well for me to change the direction I was going in because this was an educated woman and yet she still was misdiagnosed. She didn't pick up on the same she didn't pick up on what was going on with her own body. And she was a dancer, you know? Which so, is very rare. Like that's, we're very in tune. So I totally yeah, get that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that totally threw me off. So now what am I doing now? So I chose occupational therapy. So I had to, girl, I had to go back to school. Like I already had like an arts administration degree. So at 40, I decided to go back to school. Very challenging, but I needed it. And got a degree in biology. Then from that is when I started my master's for occupational therapy to make sure that I started advocating for women of color and children for healthcare because there really is so much that we're not told. There's a lot that happens in doctor's offices that we're very unaware of and just the health discrepancies that goes on, just the health disparities that goes on um, is now where I'm starting to focus a little more on because we as a people really need to know more about our health and how to take care of not only ourselves, but our loved ones, our elders, our children, because there's a lot that they don't tell us. So that's where my Mm -hmm. voice is now. So with, um, with me, um, I feel like, (laughs) I feel like, um, gosh, I hope I don't cry. I have been fighting 
um, through my marriage, through my divorce, through what I want to do in my life with performing, um, through my cancer, um, to reach my real calling. I feel like I was fighting and fighting and fighting and clawing my way to what I felt I should be doing with my life. Um, I'm now at a point where, you know, I feel like I've relaxed a little bit and I don't have to fight so hard. And I've been given a soft place where I can manage my creativity. I just um, got a publisher for my children's book with Harper Collins. So I'm um, working on that. I've just been cast in an independent film. So I'll be doing that. Um, I have submissions in for my young adult novel. So I'm working on that. So I feel like I'm in a place where I am going towards my true calling, but ha it has taken me literally fighting through so many different things where now I can tell my story and I can share those things and inspire people. I can teach people. I'm also a buddy system in the um, Cancer Alliance where I have, I'm connected with people and I help them through their cancer chemotherapy or in their process. So I really feel like I'm, I'm in a good place, but I just feel like it has taken me so long, but everything for a reason. So I'm over here. So unfortunately we're not in studio and this is just an incredible moment because I just want to hug my friends and I can't, but to hear Erica's journey and to hear Jennifer's journey specifically because I've seen both of them in many different ways fighting. I have especially seen Jennifer fighting backstage at 42nd street. I've seen her fighting for her health. I've seen her fighting for her voice not to be taken from her. I've seen her fighting and fighting and fighting. And to hear that everyone is doing so well and, and pursuing their vision, their vocation, vocation is like, that's what this is about. That's what this is about. We are here to inspire and to tell our story because it is selfish for us to hold that in. It is what we are supposed to do. So I applaud you both for finding your path, for really reaching these goals and really being an example for those who are coming behind you. I thank you. This is incredible. Congratulations to both of you guys. Because transitioning out of dancing and doing the thing that we have been doing all those years is not an easy feat. It is not easy. And we I, I know about me, I was not trained to do anything else. So I had to figure out the other thing to, to live and survive. And that is not an easy thing to do. So I think, isn't that a beautiful thing? Like I find like, you know, I always say like once a dancer, always a dancer. And I feel like dancers are such unique creatures in that there really is little we can't do. You know, like we are called to adjust, you know, and adjust, adapt, 
adjust, Take adapt, notes, absolutely edit, pivot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. right. I've had, hey, I've had, and especially when you are <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. And especially when you are like a woman of color in this thing called dance, like you really you you have to do it all. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I've had at least like five said, careers since since dancing. Correct. None of none of which I formally trained in. All self taught, self learned kind of thing. Right. So you're right, Erica. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's such a discipline, and I think that's the thing that I'm so grateful with my dance career. Like to be a dancer took such discipline. Um, you get more rejection. I don't think I've ever been more rejected in my life than when I was a dancer, but you just learn how to let that stuff just bounce off of you, you know, mm-hmm. just put oil on you. Like, okay, that wasn't for me, but you just learn so many life lessons from dance, the dance studio, your dance friends, like that it really does prepare you for anything. There's nothing that dancers can't do. We can do anything. Mm-hmm. And I think also what you guys are saying is everything and it's time especially with Jenna saying all of the things that she had to go through now puts her in the most right and perfect place to have this goodness happen. Absolutely. It all it needed the time yeah. that it needed to take for it to mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just amazing. So I, it brings me to our conclusion, our final question, which is you guys are North of 40, right? We don't need to say what range we're in. We're all North of 40. What does North of 40 look like for you? What do you think these next decades, these decades beyond will look like? Hmm. North of 40. I've been north of 40 for a minute. Uh, (laughs) um, And I think now I'm so glad to, like, I remember years ago seeing Oprah Winfrey and she was so excited to be 50. And I remember looking like, why is she so excited to be 50? And now I can really see that. Like, I don't really feel like I've peaked yet. Like, I feel like there's still so much for me to do. Yeah, because now I'm just, I'm, I'm just started. Like, I just got this degree. You know, I had to pass my board exams and everything. I want to go back to school for my doctorate. So, yeah, like, I feel like I'm just starting. And this is north of 40. So to be north of 40 and to feel like, okay, I'm reborn. I'm like, just blossoming still it's very exciting you know so um yeah i have to get back you know i mean jen is light years ahead of me you so. know she got all these books i, I gotta start can. writing i gotta start putting <laughs> pen to paper or start yeah, typing or something to her credit <laughs> she's know. been working on that for a, a minute so i'm yeah. i'm excited for her yeah but i'm Thank very you. excited for that honey mm-hmm. but jen i want to um, hear what do you think your north of 40 is looking like um, I, I'm kind of like, uh, with Erica, I, I, I think I'm still kind of blossoming. Um, I feel like everything that I've dreamt of what I wanted, you know, as a little girl, I'm slowly being able to rebuild on all of that again, with the help of, you know, with the Rockettes and 42nd Street, that was always where my passion lied. So I feel like I'm going back into the same vein and it feels really good. Um, So I feel like I'm in a new territory in a different way and and it's still creative. And I really like the way I feel. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. What I'm hearing both of you say is ease and grace. When it's for you, 
it comes to you. You don't have to fight for it. You feel good about it and you feel good doing it. So what I want everyone to take away from this is ease and grace, ease and grace, because what's meant to be for you will be no matter what. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And don't be afraid. I think like I look at us and I'm like, we're all fighters. And I would say like, don't be afraid as well of the, the fight. Like the fight is part of it. If it's not, if you're not willing to fight for it, then maybe it's not worth it, you know? So I know that all of us, we have a voice, right? But we've also been willing to fight for what we believe mm -hmm. in. Like Jennifer said earlier, do the right thing. I'm going to fight for that because this is what's right. You know, you have a vision. No, I'm going to fight for this vision because there are women behind me who need this door broken. So mm -hmm. I'm going to break it. I'm going to keep fighting for it. And maybe the doll behind me will be the one who will actually get it done. But at least I had a little bit of part of, you know, and I think that's still where we are. And I think that's the part for me that's so exciting. You know, I'm going to do my part. I always say, however humble, however humble, but at least I'm going to help that next sister up. So. I love that. And I think that's a perfect way to end this episode that no matter what, it still is that fire and that heart to fight. Absolutely. And once you get yeah. through that fight, it's ease and grace to allow yes. the results. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yes. I yes. love that. Ladies, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on North of 40 and being able to bring your personal experience to elevate these women in this cause. I'm Miriam Micah Day, and you're listening to North of 40. 